Hey, thanks for listening to the Journey Podcast. We're glad you're here. Journey exists to engage people in the process of knowing Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast engages you, encourages you, and brings you closer to Him. Unprecedented. That's a word that we've heard, like Caleb just said, a lot over the last several months. And you think about all the different events, not just the COVID. I mean, 2020 in general. I mean, we had in Australia, we had fires almost burn up the whole entire country. We've had COVID. We have all the stuff that's just recently happened with the, and I don't know what else to call it, but the murders of innocent people. It's it's one of those words that's been described over things like we saw this past week where a private rocket flew, um, Dragon uh, from SpaceX, a private rocket, not to be really uh, subsidized by any country or any, you know, just a group of people. It was unprecedented times. So it made me think, I'm going to start kind of researching what unprecedented means. The, the definition, by very definition, it means this. Without previous instance, never before known or experienced, unexampled, unparalleled, and I love this last part, miraculous. Miraculous, because that's the God that we see in the Bible. And I think about it, you can thumb from the very beginning to the very, very end, there's unprecedented moments. And it's interesting, and here's the truth that we all got to get this morning. God doesn't need a precedent. As a matter of fact, he sets the precedent. He is the precedent. He's the one that does the unprecedented things. So it's one of those situations where, as I'm paging and thumbing through the Bibles, I was thinking about some. How about early on in the Bible, in the the book of Exodus, you see uh, somebody with no experience. They never led an army, never led a group of people. But you know something? No experience? No problem. That was Moses. Moses didn't know how to do it. He, he literally was told by God just to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. So he, he, he went and did that. It was unprecedented that, that Pharaoh let the entire group of slaves, his sales force, his workforce go. How about this? Think about it. no boat. I mean, they didn't have a need for a boat. They had no rain. No boat, no rain, no, no problem though. And that was Noah. There was a, a, a preservation factor there. It was unprecedented at the time. How about this? No kids. No, no, no heirs. No, nobody give the, 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 you know, the, the generations to come. No problem. That was the story of Abraham and Sarah. They didn't have kids and God, through an angel, tells him to look at the stars and your, your, your offsprings are going to be countless as the stars that you can see, but it was unprecedented. How about, how about no armor? How about, how about no weapon? How about a giant sitting in front of you? God says, no problem. Just go down and get a couple smooth stones and I'll take care of the rest. And literally, when David faces the giant, he says, who do you think you are to stand against one of God's? It was un unprecedented. How about no army? Starting out with tens of thousands of people and God wants them to whittle it down to just a couple hundred and fight a great army. No, 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 no problem though. That's the story of Gideon. No building experience. No problem. That's the story of Nehemiah. No rain. No problem. That's the story of Elijah. No wine. We see it in the New Testament. No wine for the wedding banquet. No problem. Jesus first miracle. It's unprecedented. And how about the ultimate one that Caleb just talked about? No life, no blood flowing, no heartbeat in a tomb. Third day, 
unprecedented takes place. And Jesus walks out as the Messiah of the world, claiming all the claims, really substantiating all the claims. And it's interesting because I struggle with this idea of unprecedented just by definition. Because all through my life, at least my Christian life, I've heard people say some stuff like, you know, and I've been always cautious about when somebody says, there's something new that God's doing. There's always that moment where I, I kind of cringe a little bit because I look at the Bible and I'm like, there's nothing new. The Bible says under the sun. When somebody says that, I need a precedent. I need somebody to tell me this is the way it looks. But I remember somehow or another kind of working through my own stuff in my life. And I had a pastor tell me one time, he says, when you can't find one, ask a few questions. He says, ask this one. Does, does this in any way contradict maybe the, or undermine the scripture? You know, does it, does it go against the Bible? Does it go against something that's in the Bible? Is it incongruent with what the Bible teaches about God's move in the lives of other people? If it is, maybe just slow down a little bit. Is there something that me or people, and I love this because I, I love hanging out with people that have the gift of discernment. And I'll go, you know, I'm hearing about this new thing. And, and, and they'll go, oh, you get to kind of the Holy Ghost heebie-jeebies. And then I got to ask myself, does it go against God's character? And if it goes against those things, all of those things, maybe it's not a new, you know, maybe, 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 it's, maybe it's something we need to be cautious of. Or maybe if all those things check off, and maybe it's in fact God doing something special. There again, if he, if he's the God of the unprecedented, the God of the new, maybe he can do what he wants to do. So if there's no account for those things, then maybe, maybe God isn't following a precedent and maybe he just wants us to follow him. Today, I'm going to look at an unprecedented story. And over the next several weeks, we're going to take a look at four of them. Today, we're going to look at a popular story uh, for most of you grew up in the church. And if you didn't, that's fine, because we're really going to break it down. Today. But it's an unprecedented event. It's the feeding of 5,000 people. As a matter of fact, it's a little bit more than that. Here's a couple things you need to know. Back then, they only counted for the men. So it was actually 5,000 plus children and, 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 and spouses or women. So it was, you know, maybe up to 7,500, maybe, maybe 10,000 people. It's recorded, and it's one of the only few times that something is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's also known to many circles, or depending on the translation of the Bible, it's the, it's the, it's the, the, the miracle of the loaves and the fish. Whatever it is, I think this story captures a few things that we've got to get that are about the unprecedented God, some characters of God. It captures the very essence of Jesus as the Son of God. We see him as the bread of life. We see him that he's our supplement. He's our, he's our sufficiency. It captures the very essence of God and the, uh, you know, God being abundant and extravagant, generous. We talk about that journey all the time that we serve a God of extravagant generosity and we should be extravagantly generous. When we see at the end of the story, that's what we see that happens. And it captures the very essence of us as his disciples. So a lot of times when he's doing something in people's lives, we don't get it. We're going to see that the disciples, they didn't get it, even though they saw firsthand, even though sometimes we've seen firsthand God's, God's work, his mighty, his mighty work, we, we sometimes cower away because our human side and our doubt. So here's the first thing was all together. You, you need to write this down. You need to figure this out. This unprecedented event demonstrates God's great compassion, his great compassion. Matthew chapter 14, 13. Let's go right to the story and kind of read through it. It says, now when Jesus heard this, 
He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. And this was common. And we're going to talk about that specifically in a second, why they were kind of following him around. But when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And what does that say? He had compassion on them and he healed, he healed their sick. Now, when it was evening time, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, he said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. They said to him, we have only five loaves and two fish. We just have a little bit right here. That's all we brought, just enough for kind of all of us. He said, he said, whoa, 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 bring them, bring them to me. He doesn't even address that, the, the, the lack of them or how many they don't have. He says, just bring them to me. Just bring those things to me. Bring them, bring them over here. Watch what's going to happen. And I love that line. He says he had compassion. It doesn't just describe an action, by the way. It's a feeling. The word compassion in the Greek literally means to be moved in one's heart. Compassion is the capacity. We talked about this last night. If you were with us on Tuesday night when we, um, you know, together we stand, I talked about this compassion. It's, it's, it's the act or the feeling of what it is to live inside somebody else's skin. It's the knowledge that there can never be, never be really any peace on our li- in our lives when we have compassion for somebody else until we live inside of those and that thing is rectified. That thing, that thing is made right. If you were with us on Tuesday night, you heard passionate pleas from three black men that are on the stage and a, pass, a passionate plea from a, a, a white male. And, it's, and it's, I think all four of us would say the same exact thing, that we are not going to be able to rest. We, we have compassion. We're not going to be able to rest until it's made right. That's by, by very definition, that's what it means. I remember in 2005, I was down in Slidell, New Orleans, or right outside New Orleans in Louisiana. And it was right after Katrina. I don't know how many people remember that. It was a horrible time. It was August, and they had all these FEMA tents set up. And we were set up at a church, a Slidell Church of God, and there was a FEMA tent. And we were hearing stories back and forth. And so when I read this story this week about this, I remember being there. I remember just the problems and the struggles. But one of the the, the local directors, one of the regional directors, was talking to the main, main person from FEMA. And this is what this person said, sir, I know that you now know the situation is past critical. Here are some things that you may not know. Hotels are kicking people out. I remember this. I remember people walking the streets. I remember them. They were kicking them out of the Superdome in New New Orleans. Hotels are kicking people out. Thousands of people are gathering the street with no food and no water. Hundreds still being rescued from homes. They're dying patients in the DMAT tent. Estimates are many more will die within hours. Evacuation is in process. Plans developing for dome evacuation, but hotel situations are adding to the problem. We are now out of food and running out of water. Plan is in the works to address this critical need. FEMA staff is okay and holding its own. DMAT staff workers are in deplorable conditions. The sooner we can get the medical patients out, the sooner we can get them. Phone connectivity is impossible. This is all done by email. This is what the director responded with. Think about this for a second. Thanks for the update. Anything specific I need to do or re-tweak. That's it. Not I'm sending more help, I'm sending more people. And it was because of a lack of compassion. And that lack of compassion reminds me about the disciples' response. Jesus is sitting there with these 5,000, 7,500 people, 10,000 people, and they're sitting there and they're hungry. 
And it's like the disciples are coming back like, like what about us? Just, just take care of us. And Jesus is going, whoa, 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 whoa. The disciples were going, is there anything that we need to tweak? And Jesus says, yeah, I've got something for you to tweak. Feed the 5,000. Take care of those people. Bring those things to me. Watch me bless them and watch what happens. The disciples' response was in many ways similar to our response. You know why they were like that? And I want you to think through this. Because that crowd of 5,000 was a lot like the people a lot of times that are around our lives, in our church sometimes. This is what it was described. The theologians described them as shallow, self-centered, thrill-seeker, and groupies. They were there because Jesus was the greatest and the latest and the greatest. He was the hot hit. He was the band that everybody wanted to go listen to. And so these group of people were literally just following him around, waiting for the next miracle that they could maybe be a part of. So the disciples were going, why? Here's the truth that I've learned. That Jesus saw their hurts. He saw their needs. He was moved with compassion. He was putting themselves. He knew that his time was about to come. He knew that it was about to be revealed who he was. And these people, and he also knew, by the way, that these people were the same people that were going to turn on him. Honestly, it makes me think about this. When Jesus sees me, when Jesus sees you, what does he see? And I believe just like 2,000 years ago, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus sees my hurts. Jesus sees your hurts. Jesus sees your needs. Jesus sees my needs. And he's still moved with compassion. He cares about you. He cares about every small detail. The battles that you're, we just sang a song, the battles that you're fighting, he cares. He wants to battle for you. I love the way Isaiah chapter 53 says it. It puts us all kind of in the same boat. It says, surely he has borne our griefs and he's carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All, all we are like sheep that have gone astray and we have turned every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid him the iniquity of us all. He, he came to die on the cross. That, that's thousands of years before Jesus came. Isaiah's prophesying about that great and glorious day. The day when he would die on the cross, but the day he would be lifted from the grave. And he did it for us because he loves us and he cares about us and he has compassion on us. Do, do me a favor. Don't make the mistake that so many people have made that think that God is this cold-hearted, ready to just kind of slap you down type of God. And unfortunately, I believe that the world has gotten that idea. We talk about perception. We talk about how to change. But one of the perceptions the world has of the church, probably because a lot of us, is that God is this just hellfire and brimstone. He's just, you know why? Because we even, we even joke about it in the church. It's a hellfire and brimstone message today. But the Bible says that love and compassion are talked about more than anything else. It's the leading thing that's talked about in the Bible that how much Jesus, how much God loves us while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, God came and died on the cross for us. And by the way, remember I said that, that he knew that these people were gonna give up on him, that they were the same group that were gonna yell Hosanna one day and crucify him the next? Here's a little truth for you. He did it anyway. He knew that was gonna happen, but he did it anyway. 
Jesus knew that most of the crowd that day was going to turn away from him. Jesus knew most of the crowd was going to deny him. Jesus knew every detail of every situation, and he did it anyway. Let me tell you one of the things that I am learning more than anything else is that we should be people of compassion. If Jesus is in us, we should be people that demonstrate compassion to the world that we live in. And I have never seen such a drawled line in the sand as over this COVID situation. I've literally had people on my Facebook, Facebook friends that have said, this is a hoax or this is just a forest or this is, it's all new, it's all fake. And then I've heard people on this side that like, oh my gosh, we can't do anything. And I've seen lack of mercy just in the last week. This morning, I had to literally shut my Facebook down, not over COVID, but, but over all the stuff that's going on, the racial tension is going on because you have both sides and there's no mercy, there's no compassion. What would Jesus do? I think Jesus would go, I'm gonna walk in their shoes and see what's going on. I wanna see how they feel, how they how they sweat, how they breathe, how they, how they interact. I think Jesus would say, you know something? I'm gonna put myself in their life. Matter of fact, that's what Jesus did. I have a friend, I just got off the phone with him before we started this morning. I asked how his wife was doing. His wife had COVID. His wife almost died. She was in an event for several weeks. She had complications from another situation, but he brought the COVID home to her from work. He literally takes her to the emergency room and puts her in a chair. He goes to park the car. And when he's doing that, they take her back to ICU and he doesn't see her for weeks. The only contact that he had is they had a Facebook, a, 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 an iPad that, that would get, like, they would allow him to FaceTime, but he was, but she was incoherent. She was, she was, she was, you know, in an induced coma. You tell that guy, you tell my friend that COVID is a hoax. You talk to my, my black friends. You tell them that all that's going on in the world we live in is a hoax. One of my pastor friends said it best. And he was talking about the virus. And it's been kind of the, the, the mantle that I've been carrying over the last several weeks. He said, he said, Bobby, I'm going to tell you something. The virus is real. He said, but I have a feeling that the, the crisis is fabricated. I, I think we would do best in our lives if we put ourselves in the shoes of the people around us. You know something, this is what I, just in the last couple of days, kind of been thinking through. Understand, we need to understand that wherever we go, God is. And wherever we go, if God's with us, we, be, we should be showing that compassion. We need to be God to the vulnerable, the sick, the poor. We need to be God in the slums because that's where he's at, in the cardboard boxes with the, with the poor. We need, to be, we need to be that God to the people in Haiti and the Dominican Republic and Kenya and all the other places that we minister to. We need to be God to the, to the mother that because of her drug, drug addiction infected her, her child and both of them are gonna end up dying. We need to be God to the ones that have screwed their lives up. 
that all that's left is a rubble, is the debris. See, that's where God is. God's wherever we go and we show compassion like Jesus did. He performed this mighty miracle because he loved people. That's unprecedented. Think about this. Every other religion, every other religion asks its people to sacrifice for the God. Except for Christianity. Jesus said, I'm going to sacrifice for you, my people. Let me give you another one. The unprecedented event of that day demonstrated he's a God of the miraculous. And honestly, he still is. He still does miraculous things. Verse 18, it says in verse 18, and he said, bring them here to me. He says, then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and he said, a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And it says, they all ate, they all ate and were satisfied. Every one of them, every single person that was in that room or that, in that field that day ate, they were satisfied. And they took up the 12 baskets full of the broken pieces that were left over. See, there's a lot of people that think that this was a useless miracle because they, they knew the crowd, they knew how the crowd was gonna do. A lot of people think it was also manipulated. They thought that there was plenty of food, that everybody was actually doing picnics and they just had enough food. Let me give you a little bit of Jewish custom just so you kind of understand. One loaf of bread would feed about three people. That would be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of loaves that would have to be available for them. And I'm going to take God's word literally when he told the little boy to go get the stuff and he brought it back up. Because I don't believe this was a miracle of crowd manipulation. I believe this was a miracle of creation. He created a lot of food from a little bit of food. They started out with just a few of the loaves and a few of the fish. But I want you to know something. It's my favorite part of the story. They didn't start out with an empty basket. God told them to go to gather those things up, gather them up and bring them up to me. And it made me think, as I was thinking through this, you know, there was just a couple things in there. What about my basket? How many times have I said, God, I don't have anything? I don't have anything. I, 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 need you to, I need you to do this thing. And it made me think, where do I need a miracle? And where do I need a miracle in my own personal life? Where, where do we need a miracle in our country? Where, where, where do we need a miracle? Where do you need a miracle in your marriage? And so many times we're so concerned about the empty or so concerned about what somebody else has that we forget to look at our basket, that there's some stuff in our basket. So many of us have a scarcity model to think that everybody owes him something because they think somebody else has more. But maybe if we would just look and see what we have, that we have more than we really think we do. If you need a miracle, that's a good pattern to have. Do an inventory of what's already in your basket. What, what, what if, what if we were faithful to bring him our loaves and our fish and allow him to do his work? What would happen if we just brought him our little bit of stuff in our basket and allowed him to do it? And, it's, and instead of complaining uh, how little we have, what if we started asking God to multiply it? Our finances. Uh, we're living proof. We started out little, God would add more. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a biblical principle. When you're faithful with little things, God gives you more. 
And so we started out tithing on our little checks and God gave us a little bit more and we tithe on that and, and, and God gave us a little more and we tithe with and countless stories around this place. A couple of weeks ago, I challenged people in our church, start somewhere, start 1%, start 3%. There was other people in our church that, that, that they were at 10% already of giving God their finances and they started giving 11 and 12 and 15 and God started blessing and blessing and blessing. It's because he says, let me, let me bless what you have in your basket. How about your marriage? What's, what's, what's in your, your marriage basket? What, what's that look like? Maybe it's not the greatest marriage, but you, you have something. I was counseling a good friend of mine. She actually called me during this whole COVID mess and just mentioned to me that her marriage was falling apart. And I was like, well, talk to me. She goes, well, we don't talk anymore. We've been married for, you know, several years. We just don't talk anymore. You know, if it wasn't for the kids, we probably wouldn't be together. I'm just not sure we're even going to make it through this, this whole mess. And I ask a question, I ask this all the time when I'm doing marriage counseling. I said, when's the last time you've been on a date? And she snickered at me, she laughed at me. And I said, seriously, when's the last time you've been on a date? She goes, we can't go on dates right now. The, you know, the restaurants are closed. I said, I didn't say to go to, when, when's the last time you went to eat? When's the last time you did a date? When's the last time you had a date night? And she, she looked at me, she said, that, 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 I said, that's so simplistic, Bobby. I said, well, why don't you at least give it a try? How simplistic was it when Jesus said, bring me the basket with a few things in the basket and watch me perform a miracle? Watch me do that. That's simplistic. Thinking somehow that, that somebody could feed thousands of people with just a few loaves and a few fish. That's ridiculous is what that is. It's unprecedented. He says, do me a favor, just, just one night. Take the kids over the, to the grandkids. Take the kids over to the parents' house and you do one date night. She said, Bobby, one date night is not gonna make a difference. I said, would you just be quiet for five minutes and do just one thing I'm asking you to do? She, she called me back about a week later. I was kind of afraid to call her back because I was afraid that she was gonna tell me that it was the worst nightmare that she ever had and it was like all gonna fall apart. She said, Bobby, you won't believe what happened. I'm going, talk to me. Tell me about the basket. And she said, Bobby, we sat there for hours talking. It's the first time in years that we've talked. Three, four, five hours went by and we talked about life. We talked about vacations. Bobby, we talked about doing life together in the next 20 years. If there's something in the basket, there's something God can bless. There's something God can do. So instead of looking at all the things that we don't have, what would happen if we looked at what was in the basket and we asked God to bless it? Our finances, our relationships, our kids, our marriage, our ministry, our church, the stuff that's going on in the world. Which really leads me to the next thing. This unprecedented event demonstrated another thing that's I think really important is that he was a God of abundance. He's a God of miracles. But he's a God of abundance. He wants to pour out. After the miracle had been performed, the Bible says that everybody ate. Everybody had enough. They were satisfied. I love the way Matthew writes it in verse 20. And he literally says, and they ate and were satisfied. I don't know. You can't satisfy three people. Like you can't, you can't have a meal sometimes at night and satisfy everybody sitting at the table. And all these thousands of people were satisfied somehow. And they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces that were left over. And they ate, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. And we know when they picked them all up, they had all this stuff left over. 
And I imagine that the disciples, for the next couple days, maybe weeks, they were eating out of that basket, continually being reminded of the miracle that God just did. God is a God of abundance. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I believe he wants our, our baskets to pour over. But I'm not talking about opulence. I'm talking about a God that wants to give us and supply all of our needs, as Scripture says. I'm, I'm talking about pressed down, the Bible says, shaken together, as the priests in the Old Testament would do. They would literally have, they would literally go out there and they would, they would get the remnants and they would pull their cloaks out and they would have it and would just be pouring over all the excess. That's what God wants to do in our lives. He wants to bless what's in the basket. What would that look like? Remember, go back to the last point. What would it look like if we asked God to bless what was in the basket? We said, God, here's, here's my basket. I have just a couple things. I have a couple loaves. I got a couple fish. Just have a few things here. But I'm going to give them to you. And I'm going to allow you to do your work with them. Possibly. Could what he does be unprecedented? Maybe in your finances. Maybe you're barely making ends meet. But you know you're called to be obedient. And you know what God's tugging on your heart, going, I know, I know I need to start doing something. What's in the basket? Just maybe even tilt it a little bit and go, God, this is what this is all I've got. Can you can you work any can you? God, this, this is my relationship. It's, man, it's about falling apart. But I've never done this, God. It's, it's, brand, it's unprecedented for me to even come to you with this, but I'm going to give you what's in my basket today. This little relationship that seems to be falling apart. And I believe, I believe what will happen if you allow him to work, you're diligent, you pray, you follow after God, I believe your basket will start overflowing. But what would happen if we did that with our children? God, here's my basket. Could you do something with these kids? I know I'm a mess up. I know their dad's a mess up but you're the great father. So could you take the couple things that we have in this basket? Could you possibly do something? What, what could you do with them? How about, would you like to have an abundance of friends? But God, I only have a couple. God, could you take our lives? Could you put us and surround us with great people that we can do life together? We can do small group together. We can, we can go through life's good times and the bad times. Can you, can you, how about health? God, my health isn't that great, but I'm going to give you my basket. And I'm expecting you. I'm expecting you to multiply. I'm expecting you to do something. How about your career or your accomplishments? What would happen if you gave him your career? Maybe it's not the direction that you want to go. Maybe it wasn't your ultimate goal to be right where you're at right now, but you've never asked God to bless it. Why don't you, why don't you show him what's in the basket? This has turned out to be one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. It's John 10, 10. 
And I really want to pray that over us today. Because this is another demonstration that God is a God of abundance. He says, I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. This is my life. This is God, here's my life. And what God does when I give him my life, he allows the basket to pour over. He allows relationships. He allows finances. He allows life. He allows ministry. He allows accomplishments. He allows all that stuff to pour over. I'm going to pray in a second, but I want you to think about something. I want you to be very specific wherever you're sitting right now. Maybe, maybe it's the park. Maybe it's your back deck. Maybe it's you're sitting in the kitchen. Maybe you're watching on the screen with your kids. Maybe you're all by yourself. I want you to think about the things in your life. I want you to think about how compassionate God has been to you. Or maybe today is the very first time you heard about how compassionate God is. He loves you so much. God loves you so much that the Bible says he sent his son to die on the cross because he didn't want any of us. He wanted creator and creation to be brought back together. And maybe today you needed to hear that God's a God of compassion. And I'm here to tell you personally, I know that every person that's on this stage would say the same exact thing, that God is a God of compassion. He's been compassionate. Way beyond what we deserve, he's been compassionate. Way beyond what, 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 what our normal life would have taken, he's been compassionate. Maybe today you need to hear that he's a God of miracles. Maybe you need a miracle in your life. Maybe it's a Maybe it's a miracle of healing. Maybe it's a miracle of marriage restoration. Maybe it's a a financial thing. I want you to know that there's something in your basket. And if you give that to God, he, he will multiply. He'll do something. The Bible says exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or imagine. That's what he'll do with that. And that he's a God of abundance. And that's the stories I can't wait to hear about. We sang that song up front. And it talked about what the enemy intended to bring harm. God turned around and made it a good thing. But not just made it a good thing. He restores things back to better than new. Better than normal. And that's what I believe he's going to do. Let's pray. God, in this moment right here. God, there's so many different messages that were spoke this morning because... This story has so many different facets. We could have spent another two or three weeks talking about this. We could have talked more about the disciples and their response. We could have talked more about how you did the miracle or what you did after the miracle. We could have talked more about compassion. But God, today we landed on three big truths, unprecedented truths. That you're a God of compassion, you're a God of miracles, and you're a God of abundance. And that's why I said up front, this story sums up who you are, your character. So I pray, God, that that would be demonstrated through people, that your Holy Spirit would now do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. Convict and bring back, lay down and restore, 
God, bring life where there's death. And just like the stories I shared up front of all those unprecedented things, my story, my story is just as powerful about how you can do and want to do and will do and have done unprecedented things in my life. I pray blessings over our church, our community. God, that we would see the God of the unprecedented and make you famous. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening today. If you need prayer or help taking your next step, email our team at nextsteps at journeycommunity.net.